People do it from time to time. Sure, I first heard people the... people who uh, who listen to Sirius or XM. Yeah, I know they're the same thing, but th- they probably that probably gets a lot of play on the sixties sixties uh, on six. Yeah, I first I think I heard a version by the Chipmunks. Well, it's written by it's by the same guy. Oh, okay, that that makes sense. Why it's so kitschy and I'm not exactly sure how what the mythology of the okay. Chipmunks is. <laughs> <laughs> There's a chipmunk's Bible somewhere. <laughs> Here are the rules and uh, the, the appendices of the, of the chipmunks universe. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but it's. I think it's the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, God. Well, welcome to the Wages of Cinema. I'm Jack, and I'm Andrew, and we're back with our first full episode for you for 2017. Uh, we had a nice little conversation about uh, Martin Scorsese's Silence, which I guess is our Technically our first real episode of the year. If you want to uh, catch up on that silence review, here's a clip. We just saw a new Martin Scorsese movie. Silence. Or I should say Martin Scorsese picture. Yeah, silence. Silence. So let's just now... Uh, I was trying to make a long silence. Right, there we go. All right. So, oh, okay. we hope you listen to the rest. <laughs> I didn't even know you were going to do that, but that, that was actually a good idea. Um, <laughs> um, it's something I just want to talk briefly about before I get to some of the movies I've seen uh, this month. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, that Deadpool, of all movies, could have a chance at getting a Best Picture nomination? How so? Well... Uh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, I mean, it seems like a very remote chance, but go ahead. It sounds like a remote chance, but it, well, just the fact that Deadpool and the Oscars, that I could even think that it says a lot, but no, there's this uh, group called the Producers Guild of America. Um, you know, they, they have the different guilds. They have the Screen Actors Guild, Directors Guild, Producers Guild, and Writers Guild. Stonecutters Guild. Yes. <laughs> I don't think they get... Guild uh, of Assassins. All of these groups vote on the Oscars. Yeah, sure. The uh, the the pudding guild. Yes. Uh, actually, I don't know if there's a pudding guild, so don't don't come after me. Well, sure, it's, it's it's the it's an organization okay. of pudding smiths. All right, but let me just here are the nominees for the 2017 PGA Producers Guild uh, for Best Picture. You have uh, in you have movies that you might expect. Moonlight is on there. Manchester by the Sea. La La Land, Hidden Figures. Movies nobody's um, seen. But yeah, these these Oscar bait uh, fences. <laughs> yeah. Hacksaw Ridge. Arrival. And then Deadpool is on there. Uh, one of these things is not like the other. Yeah, and also at the, at the, uh, the Writers Guild also gave it a nomination. Now, if it had just been the Writers Guild, that might have been one thing. Because sometimes they do nominate films that you don't quite expect. But... But this, but seeing Deadpool in this list of films, it's just yeah, this definitely does not fit. Yeah. But just, I, I almost want it to be nominated, for the simple fact that you know, at the Oscars, and also this actually happened at the Golden Globes too, because it was up at, for best comedy. Um, now at the Golden Globes, it's different because they, they nominate a lot of different kinds of things. You know, they have two categories for drama and comedy. But I want to see. During this very formal Oscar ceremony, 
with where they come out and they introduce each film and they show like clips and describe what it's about. <laughs> <laughs> you have someone like Liam Neeson yes. come out and they're like This film about a mercenary who a disfigured mercenary who uses, searching for the woman who he loves using extreme violence and profanity and breaking the fourth wall like femurs. Femurs? Leg bones. Leg bones. Oh, oh, breaking. Oh, I didn't get that comparison for a second. It's very hard to break a femur, by the way. Yeah? It's one of the hardest bones in the body. Where's the femur? It's your thigh. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. That, that, must, that must hurt a lot. Because usually it's one thing. Deadpool. If, Deadpool. Yeah. Liam Neeson presenting Deadpool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I obviously no chance in hell that it would win. But I just not only do I wait want, a minute. Hold on. It's that kind of year. I what? know 2016 is over, but we got the Cubs win the World Series. Donald Trump became president. Deadpool wins Best Picture. <laughs> a Batman it would versus be like, Superman movie sucked. It would be 2016's Revenge from Beyond the Grave. <laughs> well, the other thing that would be great, too, about that is in this hypothetical world where Deadpool wins Best Picture of the Year, and, you know, de- with the exception of Heath Ledger and The Dark Knight, the Oscars have completely always ignored comic book movies mm. they have been like the except for the crappy little special effects and sound design yeah no no, no i mean obviously the, the technical awards that's something else i mean they've been giving awards to the, that since like superman right but when it comes to you know the big prestige awards like they always ignore them but deadpool i think it, it just just the fact that again it got nominated at these guild awards I think that it's almost, in a way, throwing shade at comic book fans. <laughs> or, or, or not even, I don't know, comic book fans is the term, but, like, all these people who've been, for years, saying, when are comic book movies going to get recognized? When, when are we going to, when are we going to rise and get our recognition and blah, 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 blah. When, and here's this, when and comic here's, book movies get awesome? Yeah, well, well, not, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they're pretty good. Oscars caliber, not quite. Yeah, and... And uh, you know, I'm looking took... at you, Captain America: Civil War. I I think that Captain America: Civil War is a fine movie. It is a fine movie. Yeah, um, I would even say Robert Robert Downey Jr. in that. If I had a short list, I don't know if he would make my group of nominations, but he would be on a short list of best supporting actors. He was great. And the award for best Spider-Man cameo <laughs> goes to. <laughs> you, you know what you have you have like, I, I really wasn't i really didn't expect to try to commit to that joke so. <laughs> no but you actually i was hearing you do it i was actually visualizing it <laughs> i just picture like somebody who's on the day it's about to say and the oscar goes to kidding me uh robert Downey <laughs> jr civil <laughs> war, Captain America civil war. <laughs> but yeah no no it could be it would be that kind of year where deadpool wins this anti-comic book comic book movie, you could say. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about Deadpool and how it is act- and how it is really the good result of the crappiness of comic book movies. Well, it's 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 a necessary step in, yes. in terms of the comic book world. The fact that um, you know we've had just at, at Fox all these years of X Men movies <laughs> and of varying quality, and then it. 
you have this one character who can basically be like the Marx brother of, uh, of the comic book universe. He's like... Or Wayne, or, or Wayne in Wayne's world. He's like... Or Bugs Bunny. Okay, I, I could I could go I could go with that more metaphor. He is the Bugs Bunny of yeah. Uh, of, he he doesn't screw with you unless you really screw with him. Although he might screw with you anyway. Well, Deadpool's morality is practically he's, non-existent. He's very, so yeah, but it's it's just obviously yeah. Deadpool is a very popular movie. It got a lot. It made a lot of money. Fans really liked it. I just never expected to be in a world where Deadpool would be like a major awards contender. Now, who knows if it will happen? The Oscars are going to be, they're going to be announced on, uh, I think Tuesday this week. Uh, it's going to happen this week. So if Deadpool gets a nomination for a major award, then we are going to have a lot to talk about. We could. Yeah. Even if it's just screenplay, that would be amazing. That yeah. that's the Academy of motion picture arts and sciences saying that a movie where a guy in a red and black, uh, jumpsuit riding a zamboni yeah. <laughs> about to kill a guy is one of the best screenplays i just watched that clip today <laughs> yeah i love that scene <laughs> yeah because he's like the he, funny part he's about... credulous at the ridiculousness of his own situation <laughs> that's what's funny about it it's not funny necessarily that he's using a zamboni what's funny is that he finds it funny yes <laughs> we're kind of laughing with him i have to, i have to disagree i think that is inherently funny trying to kill someone with a zamboni <laughs> But you add another layer to that by making him think how funny it is. Yeah. But here's the thing about the Oscars. We just mentioned Oscar bait. Yeah. And now I should say though, I mentioned I say the word Oscar bait. Now this is actually a pretty strong year for dramatic films. So like, yeah, the movies that are likely to be nominated for Best Picture this year, I'd say roughly three quarters of them I think are great. So right. I actually don't really have a problem with. Them. There are a few. There are a couple but that are. You and I bait. both know the meaning of the word Oscar bait. Yes. And we know when a film fits a mold or pattern of what we're expecting from the Oscars. Mm. And a lot of pop culture, like superhero movies, sci fi films, horror films, yes. do not fit into that mold. No, they don't. Like, All right, the, Silence the fact- of the Lambs swept the Oscars yeah. when, in its year. But that's that an was, exce- that, but that that's was an exception. a crazy exception. That was an exception because of the super high quality of the script, and that you also had people like Hopkins and Jodie Foster. Uh, and yes. Silence of the Lambs is it, it is you could just call it a thriller, and avoid the sort of horror. It's a thriller with horrific elements. It, it exists on that on that you know X axis y axis yeah. between horror and and thriller well it's the same reason why uh, the exorcist was another horror film that you can look back at but that also now the exorcist is a true horror film i would not say that's a thriller at all no 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 not thriller but the reason it got like the oscar attention it got it didn't win picture and director but it got best screenplay was because it was a much it actually tried to take its character and worlds seriously. Yeah. Which is oh. why a lot of horror movies don't, even the ones that are really well done. And we do have to point out that Star Wars got nominated for Best Picture. It did. Also Mad Max Fury Road. Right. I think is in that camp. Uh, yeah, I feel like Mad Max Fury Road was kind of like the Star Wars nominee of last year. Kind of. But I think we could... 
I mean, if you see a fantasy action type of film well, well, nominated the, large at the Oscars, the... it needs to be something that really blows people away. And I mean, blows away the Oscar voters, like the people who, uh, you know, these these old white guys who <laughs> vote the Oscars. And and don't forget Return of the King. Well, yeah, Return of the King. Uh, all three Lord of the Rings movies got Best Picture nomination. Yeah. Uh, I and, guess yeah, the third one, they finally realized, oh, all right, we got to just do it. Yeah. <laughs> so it is, there is this sort of... Dude, so could Deadpool be the movie, though, that is like the, like, for what Return of the, what the Lord of the Rings were for those, uh, you know, fantasy epics? Is Deadpool no. the one? I don't no, think so. No, Deadpool's not the one. No, and that's just. But I find it interesting because again, it's 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 a comic book movie. I think for people who maybe generally don't, who have problems with modern comic book movies because of all the cliches, because it just pokes fun at them so much. But there is this. But there is this idea that a lot of genre films and pop cultural films don't get into the Oscars, yeah, unless it's for a technical <clears throat> accomplishment. Yeah, but that's why it's just it. It just befuddles me because, um, you know, like I look at a, like the script for something like Civil War or uh, going back a couple of years, Winter Soldier. Yeah. Like those are very well constructed, smart scripts. Yeah. To me. But they don't get Oscar attention. No. Now, again, there might be a lot of competition uh, with more dramatic films. Uh, but yeah, this, this idea of what is serious, quote unquote. You know, yeah. so much of that changes, and and there's actually something that I could bring up, but I'll save for a discussion about a certain book that we'll talk about in the yeah, podcast. That, that's going to be another uh, episode. But uh, but yeah, it's just an odd thing when I, I, so so it's just something that popped out at me, and I just had this image of guys in tuxes coming out or uh, coming out to introduce the film and show the clips, and then you cut to like. I don't know, Clint Eastwood sitting in the audience like, what the fuck is... He's <laughs> 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 uh, a stupid comic book. <laughs> Good old Clint Eastwood. Yeah, don't ever change. Um, Alright, so anyway... Um, Let's yeah. talk about some movies. Yeah, I've seen a good number of movies recently. Uh, some, you know, some really good ones and also some disappointments. Um... Oh, wait. Oh, what's up? There is one thing I want to talk about. Just sure, briefly. Sure. Have, have you been following uh, Doug Walker, the Nostalgia Critic, in uh, recently? What sense? Uh, have you been watching his recent videos? Oh, did he do a video about, like, the 10 worst sequels? Yes, that's I the 11 saw, worst I sequels. Saw that, I saw that one. I haven't seen any of his other recent videos. I was... He's on on his list of the eleven worst sequels ever. Okay, was X Men Origins Wolverine. Yeah, and that's a terrible film. Yeah, I think though he chose the wrong sequel oh, because we... if any X Men film deserves to be on the list of worst sequels, it's X Men Apocalypse. You think that X Men Apocalypse is worse than that no. one though? I don't think it, it is, is a worst. It is the a worse sequel. Oh, because, because X Men Origins is a prequel. Because here's the thing. X Men. 
there there were it was hard to choose the worst sequels because there is a big long list of terrible sequels. There are so, probably a number so of Walker them that you left narrowed out. it down by a few criteria. It had to come from a promising franchise. It had to be a dramatic decline in quality. Yeah. And it had to be just <clears throat> obnoxiously bad <laughs> yeah well obviously what, um, what x-men film fits that pattern better than x-men apocalypse because i think X, actually, i think x-men, X-Men origins first, wolverine is pretty obnoxious x-men first class really good film x-men days of future past really good film yeah x-men apocalypse sucks it's a pretty big so letdown. terrible and <laughs> the first few x-men movies if we're talking about like the fox ones are just kind of meh no wait the first few yeah no but, way x2 is a really good movie the first nothing compared to the other two i think x2 holds up x-men you could say it's okay x-men last stand also it has its moments x2 is really good i I would say we watch that i think the fall from quality to garbage is much more dramatic with x-men apocalypse no 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 it is a it is not a good sequel i just it's but i still would probably watch Apocalypse before X-Men Origins Wolverine just because it still has some actors that I like trying. X-Men Origins Wolverine doesn't even have that. It just has, like, nothing to work with. Hmm. Pretty much nothing. Like, that movie has Will I Am. I forgot that he was in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody remember. I I bring this up mainly... Not because I, I really feel too strongly about this, because I, I did want to put my opinion out there. Okay. If I if if I had to choose choose, I would definitely have swapped those two out. Uh, it, it's tough. I, I I didn't really think about that strongly. I did think that it was maybe a little easy to put Troll Two at number one, because to me, yeah, it's a ter- horrible uh, I, movie. But I have so much fun with it that I'd never really think about it as being the worst sequel. I'd probably think more about. Uh, I don't know, like Batman, Robin, or uh, or Transformers Two. Yeah, you know, I think I look a little more kindly on Batman than Robin than you do, because even though that's a terrible movie, and still a steep decline in quality and tone. Yeah, it's. I see something in that script of quality. And we talked about this. On no, the no, I know once. we did. You can go back to that. I, I know we. I forget when it was. I hope. I'm sure we did. I hope we put like the number of which episode that is. But I'll, I'll find it. There are some interesting themes in the script of Batman and Robin, which don't really come out. You have to kind of search for them if you if you're watching the movie. But there was something in there that would have made a good Batman story. It's just that Joel Schumacher wasn't interested in doing that. There, there, there were the problem is there were two. Maybe even three different movies colliding into one another. Yeah, you had and being you a had complete like a, mess. You had like a, you had like a, uh, a you had like a campy nineteen sixties Batman in there. Well, and then you had sort of. That's what they were going for. They were going for it. But they then, just weren't as clever. But then they had the nineties Batman films colliding with that, and then a third thing happening. Apparently, I guess I don't know. Just because it, if maybe they had actually changed like all like the cast from the past burton movies because yeah it was still technically 
it was a weird hybrid of being a sequel to the Burton Batman films, but also being, and also a sequel to Batman Forever, which was a break, which was also kind of a break from the Tim Burton universe. But you could still sense a little bit of that Burton influence. A similar tone. Yeah, a similar tone. It was jokey, but it still found a way to kind of balance the dark and light It delivered on a dark tone while being a little more comedic. A little bit. Whereas it, Batman Robin is tone deaf in all areas. It's tone deaf with trying to be a a powerful drama about Alfred sick, and <laughs> <laughs> it's like you go from like a scene where Alfred's sick to like Poison Ivy being like, as I told uh, Mister Freeze's wife before I killed her, this is a one woman show, <laughs> like. The dialogue in that movie would not even be fit for, like... I'm not even talking about the Batman animated series. I'm talking about one of the lesser-tier Batman animated series. Like Super Friends. Yeah, Super Friends, or, like, The Batman, or whatever that... You know, those other (laughs) Batman Batman. series. Yeah. I remember that. But, yeah, but we talked about, I'm sure, too, the whole thing of uh, the potential being there with the Mr. Freeze story. And that it's just... Well, that's... And that, that I think that's our third element there. It's that they they take it from the Batman animated series that was on the air at the time. Yeah. Those three collide into a sort of car I, wreck. I think you're being a little kinder to the movie than you think. Perhaps I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just because rewatching it, like, about a year or two ago, I forget when I saw it, but I did see it relatively recently... And it just—I think I saw it about two years ago. Yeah, it, it, for the it, first time, obviously, because we talked about it. But it—it it just occurred to me, wow, this is even worse than I remember. Like I knew it was bad, but it's really bad. Part, it, part, it of, is, part of the reason I look so kindly upon it is probably like—is there some been, nostalgia? There's been so much buildup. No, I've only seen it once. Okay. Uh, there's been so much buildup. This is the worst movie ever. And then mm. when you finally see it, it's like, oh, that was bad, but it wasn't the worst. Yeah. But, you know, I still stand by it. I think there is something buried deep within the bowels of Batman. <laughs> deep within. There is something. When you search through the, the shit pile, you might find the. If you were to dig into the ruins of Batman and Robin, yeah. you would find like a little golden idol that you could take away and put in a museum. All right. That, I guess that's fair. Um, Better than Crystal Skull, anyway. No way. <laughs> Okay. I'm going to throw was, something at you. I, I was kidding on that. One. No way. All right. Um, talking about disappointments, though, to transition to some of the movies I saw. Uh, a movie that, well, a filmmaker that we have, uh, we've gone together to see this man's uh, film. Or Tarsim? Films. No, I, I could talk about oh, Tarsim. Actually, no, we, ha- we haven't, we haven't no. gone to see his um, Ben Ben Affleck. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you knew he had a new movie out. Yeah, Live By Night. Yeah, it, man, this might be the most crushing disappointment, not the most, but one of the most crushing disappointments of 2016. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, and I, I I really tried to go into it with an open mind because I, I, I sometimes will see critics dumped on this movie before it came out. Uh, it was one of those things where they released the movie to try to build up some buzz around Christmas, but it was only in a few theaters. And then it was released wider a couple of weeks later. And by then I'd read a couple of reviews that were like, wow, this movie is so much of a mess and it doesn't know what it wants to be and it's boring and et cetera. And they're like, no, no, like, let me go into it. I, I want to go with an open mind. I love uh, 
30s crime movies like set in the Prohibition era. And let me try to see what goes on here. Uh, no. It's like, because we saw Argo. We did. Yeah. What were, what were some on of the things? On my birthday. Which was, oh, was, yeah. That was a really good birthday. Yeah. Um, and some of the things that made that movie <clears throat> pretty successful was just that, okay, you can maybe sense that they're exaggerating some things from probably what the real story was. Yes. Uh, but it was done in a very entertaining way. Yes. It is just sheer entertainment from and start it, to finish. And it nailed the look of the uh, late 70s. Yeah, it nailed that look for sure. Um, and ben Affleck was good. It had a really, it, the script really popped. The script really popped. Like you had a lot of great witty dialogue. So, and, yet, and yet, Alan Arkin just being Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin, you had you John just, Goodman being really uh, amusing at times. Right. And, and a, you had a good, a good but a, it was also still dramatic in a way that felt, intense yeah so it's like even though okay this guy's manipulating me probably a little bit uh i don't care i'm, I'm with it yeah. and also that was the to the same degree with other movies he made he made also gone baby gone right and the town did you see either of those i haven't seen them. okay but he showed really great control of tone here i <clears throat> i mean if anything this like i said in my review this might be more of a misfire than batman v superman <laughs> like at least with Zack snyder you know that it's kind of a crapshoot for it to be any good. And, mm. maybe, you know, the odds are probably not in one's favor, even though, ironically, Affleck was the, probably the best thing about Batman v Superman. Yeah, I, I um, have to agree with that. But he's shown with a lot of his other movies, with Argo, he, you know, he terrific control of tone, entertaining characters. The stories have some moral complexity, too. That's right. another thing with Argo. You, you know, you could see kind of both sides of what was going on with those Canadians and... Uh, and uh, then to a certain FBI. degree with the Iranians. <clears throat> oh, yeah, a little bit. Not a lot. Because we but do they have were to, they, yeah. they, because they do have to be the antagonists. They still have to be like the gun toting terrorists. But you yeah, you do get a little bit of their point of view. But seeing live, this Live by Night movie, it it almost feels like what you might expect a directorial debut to feel like. Hmm. Almost like a vanity project where he's you know, the writer, director, producer, star, and He's one of these like amazing gangster badasses, or no, no, I'm sorry, he's not a gangster. His character doesn't want to be called that, uh, even though he's he does kill he, people. He's an independent contractor. <laughs> he works a waste management consultant. Um, it, it just he doesn't even really seem like he wanted to be there in the movie, though. That's the weird thing. It's it's a passion project where he seems kind of bored. A passion project with, with no passion. Yeah. Yeah, a passion project with no passion. Like, he kind of has, like, this monotone delivery. Maybe he thought that he was trying to underplay it, but he didn't have anything to underplay it with. It also feels like maybe parts of the movie might have been cut out, uh, which wouldn't surprise me, given that it's Warner Brothers and they seem to not have any problem messing with directors' movies. Um, there, I mean, there were a couple of bright spots in it. Uh, Elle Fanning and Chris Cooper are in it. And uh, Elle Fanning, who... Uh, she, where I don't know where you might know her from. She was in this movie that I saw this past summer, The Neon Demon. Okay. Which was quite good. Uh, and she is excellent in this movie. So there are a couple of actors who do come out okay, but it's just the script is so laden with kind of like, all right, now we're going to go in this room and talk. Now we're going to go in this room and talk. Now we're going to go in this room and talk. It's like Shin Gojira. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> For a second, I'm like, what movie is that? Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. 
Yeah. Why the f- I don't know why I forgot that for because you called it Shin Gojira. Oh, it's got another name that's crazy. Shin Godzilla. Yeah. You like calling it Shin Gojira instead. I don't know. That was the first thing that came to mind. For a second, my, my If brain... I'm gonna use one Japanese word in the title, I might as well use the other Japanese word. Yeah, I don't know what <coughs> I don't know what it fully translates in English. But the point is uh yeah, Live by Night, it just I don't know, it just didn't connect with me. It, it kind of fell flat. And there were things about it that should have been really awesome. Like, in the movie, Ben Affleck is this gangster who goes and... Uh, he's in Boston for, like, the first part of the movie. But then he goes down to Miami to kind of oversee, like, this rum uh, operation. But he has to clash... He clashes with the clan who clan are down clash. there. What? Clan clash. Yeah, clan clash. Clash of been, clans. Clash of clans. Well, one clan. Uh, well, I guess... no. Never mind, but <laughs> but there's so much potential there, and it's barely realized. Yeah, and it's just see you uh, talking to me about that. That seems cool, but now I know that the movie is not great. I know I feel bad telling you like that because if you could have come to the movie yourself, and I don't know. Uh, so anything you checked out lately? Actually, it's been kind of light. I've been very busy. Yeah, I mean I've been a little busy too. I just catched some movies that I could. Um. I saw Lost Highway again Good. for the first time in a while. Lost Highway. Yeah. Lost I, Highway. I saw it on the big screen, too. Ooh. So I got to see it in, like, 35 millimeter, and you got to see all the blacks. Really, uh, you know, it, th- there's a lot of and you darkness get to hear in this movie. All the noises. Yeah, it's, it's, I would almost, it's kind of funny. I might say this movie's too dark, and I don't mean in subject matter, just in the lighting. Yeah. Uh, like it, it, you know what I feel I have a bit of nostalgia about Lost Highway because okay. Lost Highway was in a I saw it when I was back in college and, yeah we've you know, probably talked really, about it on the show before we have I, I saw Lost Highway uh, <clears throat> you know we talked about it anyway yeah. but you know it was I got in, I got into David Lynch and yeah. I watched you know Mulholland Drive and Racerhead around that time and it was just a really cool time uh, it was awesome. So I yeah. I, I when you're in college and your mind is open to all these new things, yeah. And, and you thank, don't have thank, a job. Well, well, thank goodness you also had the kind of roommate that would watch those kind of things. Yeah, because you I, might have not found them on your own. And I own the soundtrack to Lost Highway. Oh, Lost! The soundtrack is awesome. Like yeah. there was a series going on at the uh, Alamo Draft House this month. '90s soundtracks. Yeah. Um, so nice. Yeah, it is a little more... Stein. <laughs> oh, God. German words. <laughs> you know who pops up in that movie for Richard five seconds? Richard Pryor. Well, no, Richard Pryor. Yeah, no, no, he, he's in the credits. Marilyn Manson. Yeah. I didn't... I uh, forgot Robert about Loja. that. Marilyn Manson. Yeah, Ro- well, Robert Loja, of course. Seeing... Uh, there's actually... The scene where he stops the guy and beats him up and tells him, Next time, get a fucking driver's manual! Like, when he was done with that scene, a guy next to me applauded. Yeah. <laughs> On Welcome to the Basement, they once said, You know how they say, in space, no one can hear you scream? In space, you can hear Robert Lotion scream. <laughs> He has a couple of sinister moments in that. Like, some of that is due to Lynch's filmmaking. Like, there's that scene well, yeah, where... Yeah, that, that, that moment is very David Lynch. That moment's David Lynch, but also where he, he calls up... Uh, I forget the character's name now, but Balthazar Getty. Oh, wait. Uh, uh, the, oh. 
What? Why are you freezing Fred. up? His name is Fred. Oh, Fred. Yeah, Robert Loja calls up uh, Fred. Uh, Mr. Eddie calls up Fred. And he's just like, Mr. Eddie's in like this room kind of surrounded by mostly darkness. All you can see is like his nose and mouth. Yeah. He's like, hey, Fred, how's it going? Hey, you doing all right? That's good. Yeah. That's good. Oh, this this man's here to talk to you. We've met before, haven't we? Ah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, you know, it, it's interesting looking at the career of David Lynch, too, and how, like, he makes these sort of turns, and, like, this movie is really lurid and violent and yeah. sexual, too. There's a lot yeah. of sex in the movie. But it, but it's... But a lot... Of, he draws heavily from the well of the film noir. Oh, yeah, yeah. This is... Uh, this is like he soaked it in film noir. It, it's, it's... When you say he soaked something... It's like... If, instead, this is a bleach-flavored film noir. Yes. There um, we go. But, that, but what I mean, though, by this, he does this movie, and then he makes a big left turn and makes the straight story. Which, have you seen the straight story? Okay, I have not. One day you should check that out. It's it's a, it's, it's his G-rated Walt Disney movie. And I mean he oh, made it for Walt it. Disney. It sounds familiar. Yeah, it's about this guy who finds out his brother is really oh, sick. Oh, and then the lawnmower. And he, and he gets yeah. on a lawnmower and travels across like Iowa or Nebraska or something. And it's just... he's on a, He's on a search for the American dream. It's the kind of movie that... It's the David Lynch movie you could watch with your parents. Like, yeah. if you put it on, well, your, your parents could you watch know, it with you. How do you know I can't watch Blue Velvet with my parents? I mean, you could. I don't know what their <laughs> reaction would be. <laughs> I, I'm i saying you could watch Straight Story with your parents and kind of oh, get Oh, that man is huffing noxious gas. <laughs> that brings me back. Uh, he, he says, Mommy wants to fuck. <laughs> I used to drink Pabst Blue Ribbon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that would be a good move that would be a good segment to do one day movies that will make you squirm if you watch with your parents anything by alejandro jodorowsky yes anything by alejandro jodorowsky um most movies by bertolucci but anyway so lost highway i saw that again um i've caught up on a number of films that maybe will be up for oscars maybe not we talked about silence of course last time right um I rewatched the movie Fences and Manchester by the Sea, which I think I talked about previously before. Oh, oh, um, have you ever heard of the movie One-Eyed Jacks? It's only a title to me. Okay. Um, The one time Marlon Brando directed a film. Hmm. Uh, And, of course, he starred in it, too. Um, I... I could have probably seen this movie years ago, but it's one of those weird films that slipped into the public domain. Uh, why that happened, I'm not sure. I mean, it was shot on VistaVision, which was, you know, really big format film. Uh, they used that to shoot Vertigo. Um, All right. But Criterion did a re-release, and now I could see this film that is, uh, it's quite good. And there's even like a full third that I'd say is magnificent. It's a Western um, it's all about this, uh, these, this guy who, it's basically a revenge story in a way. He, Marlon Brando and Carl Malden robbed this bank at the start of the movie. Uh, they have to get away from these, uh, what do I call them? Banditos, the federales, whatever you call them. Whoever in Mexico chases after people. Uh, the, f- the federales. federales. Yeah. The federales are chasing them. 
um, they have a problem with their horse, and Carmon's like, don't worry, I'll go and get help, and he leaves Marlon Brando behind, and, uh, and then, uh, it turns out, Carmon's like, no, screw it, I'm out of here, <laughs> and basically leaves Marlon Brando to be thrown into prison, um, so in a way, it, its basic plot is kind of something you might be able to guess, because it's like, oh, I'm gonna get out of prison, or get out of prison, he, he breaks out. Right. And <clears throat> finds out that the one interesting twist is it go- cuts ahead five years later. Carl Malden is now uh, the sheriff of this town. And so Ron Brando comes in and, he's, and he doesn't really say he's going to kill him, but he kind of, you kind of know what's going to happen. But He hires uh, <coughs> a German dentist and his slave to... to ah! <laughs> <laughs> yes i kill people and i take their cash I, that's my bad chris uh christoph waltz I must have a sore throat today um no but the the execution of this is just fascinating um <clears throat> mom brando he's this guy rio he's this anti-hero and uh you also have this other character played by ben johnson and he's especially conniving in this movie and he plays every moment as both realistic, naturalistic, but also menacing. But he does the, he's the kind of villain that doesn't he doesn't do much except smile, but he still seems menacing. So yeah, pretty much. And if you can't picture it now, folks, but Andrew is giving me this face, which is very menacing, and he's smiling, more leaning on the menacing part. Um but there's a lot of rich material here, and it <clears throat> The way that Brando executes it, it probably could have been just a standard movie by any other director, but he brings a lot of his method acting to it and a lot of his improvisation. I swallowed a bug. Yes. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Horror has a face, and you must make a friend of horror. Can we just do this shootout? And slap it in the face. (laughs) Yes. Um, An interesting history, too, of this movie, because... this is one of the rare movies that Stanley Kubrick actually came like within weeks of directing. Huh. Like he'd actually signed on to direct this movie and well, not everybody could work with Marlon Brando or not everyone could work with Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> they so, don't mesh well together. Not quite. No, it, it's kind of cool finding like, you know, you could see pictures of them together online, uh, which is kind of nice, but uh, no, they, they obviously couldn't work together very well. Uh, Sam Peckinpah wrote the script, uh, Bloody Sam. Or he had a role in the script. Uh, he's not credited. But, uh, yeah. But if, you, if you're if you a fan of uh, westerns, uh, you should definitely check it out. Because a big draw of it, too, is that I find it fascinating when genres are in a transition period. Because this was shot in 1960, 1961. So you're right at that edge of when all those classic westerns were being done in the 40s and 50s but then you, it also has this sensibility that's going to lead into acting for the 60s and 70s where it gets more intense and natural and you're not dealing with people who never went to acting school just get up on a horse and I'm gonna shoot you a pilgrim and that kind of stuff no uh, pilgrims no pilgrims in this movie no uh, very Mexican story uh, I, so I, I enjoyed it quite a bit good yeah oh and speaking of westerns another movie a new movie is i won't talk about this too long it's called in the valley of violence ethan hawk 
Uh, Ladies actually, and gentlemen, welcome to the Valley of Violence. Yeah. Uh, that, and the, the, Nick, there Beyond is... the Valley of Violence. <laughs> That's a movie that needs to be made. Beyond it. Beyond the Valley of... Yeah. The, the Russ Meyer Western. Yeah. It, All the women will be huge. The men will be huge, too. It's... In what way will they be huge, Write it at a mile a minute. It'll be Uh, awesome. Yeah. Jam-pack it with every Western cliche. Yeah. Um, Watching this movie, uh, I was reminded by uh, our our good friend of ours and Death Star, Matt, as we might like to call him, uh, Matt Catania. On his blog, he he recently saw the movie Underworld Blood Wars. (laughs) Uh, because of course, yeah. you know, fifth underworld movie. Why not? I have seen the first underworld movie, so I can agree that I, he should have seen it. Well, he's a fan, so it's it's, within, it's well within his right. I'm not, but 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 I bring it up because in his review uh, on his blog, which you should check out, it's a really good review. He um he he kind of mentions no, this isn't really any great movie, but it pleases me. Yeah. And I like that. I like that description. It, it, but it pleases me. I've got plenty of movies like that. In a Valley of Violence, it, it's a movie that it's not. It's not any kind of masterpiece, and I don't even think it's trying to be. It's basically this director Ty West, who did a horror movie I really liked from a few years back called The House of the Devil. Uh, this is his first western, and it's really good. It's basically this guy decided to make a movie after a double viewing of John Wick. And any given Sergio Corbucci movie, hmm. it is so drenched in spaghetti western uh, filmmaking. Like the opening credits even have the Leone, uh, you know, credits are being fired away type thing with the little animation. The credits are being shot. Yeah, the credits are being shot away. Um, the score, the score isn't quite up to Morricone standards. Ah, that's too bad. It's a, it's wow. a decent score, but it's not quite up to that level. Um, but I actually might like this more than John Wick. It, it's, I think I talked about John Wick on the show before. Yeah. And I don't think you've seen it. It's basically a guy has a dog and the dog gets killed. I'm, I'm going to seek revenge. Yeah. Uh, that's the story. I might have liked this a little bit more than John Wick just because I like Ethan Hawke a little bit more as an actor than Keanu Reeves. Or he just has a little bit more, he has a more personal, it's a personal preference. Oh, John Travolta's in it too, and he's probably better in this than I've seen him in a while. He's... Man, what the heck is John Travolta doing th- these days? Uh, being John Travolta, I don't know. I need to go back and check out some of the Travolta movies that I've missed. In Swordfish, no, I've seen that. Oh, never mind. That's not not great. That one John where Travolta he's movie. bald and has a beard. <laughs> Oh, God. Do you know what that movie's called? John From... Travolta is bald. <laughs> John that... Travolta is in John Travolta is bald with guns. <laughs> and that you can check that out on a double bill with Beyond the Valley of Violence. Coming soon. Bing, pew, pew. Uh, no, no. The movie that you're thinking of is called uh, From Paris with Love. Oh, there we go. Yeah, no, that, I that looked pretty bad. Um, no, in this movie, what, what basically happens is Ethan Hawke, he's, he's the typical man with no name, although he does have a backstory. It almost, in a way, feels like a, 
weird side quill, if that's a word I could term I could use, a to uh, offshoot, offshoot a, uh, of uh, uh, um, spinoff. Yes, there we All go. Right. Well, because we saw we you and I saw and reviewed uh, an Ethan Hawke western this year, Magnificent uh, Seven. Yeah, and in that movie. His character was a former officer in the Confederacy, right? Right. Or, or, or in the Civil War. And in this movie, he's... I don't know if he's in, from the Civil War, but he's also but he's a deserter from the Calvary. So I kind of thought about his character from Magnificent Seven watching this. If you made that movie much more of a spaghetti western, it yeah. looked like this. And Ethan Hawke, he wanders into a small town. There's this asshole, uh, you know, sheriff and... His dad is the deputy, and he's John Travolta. And John Travolta is just like, I know my son is a dick. Is a dick. Just just leave town and don't come back, and everything will be all right. But the kid is the one that ends up screwing with uh, Ethan Hawke, and that's what spurs on the revenge. But what's amazing is how much I was laughing during this movie. Huh. It's actually one of the funniest westerns I've seen in a long time. Uh, and you'd think, like, oh, it should get more dramatic as it goes on. No, the last third is like a laugh riot. <laughs> just because you have things with like little, I don't know, um, character beats that you just don't expect but end up making it very entertaining to watch. Uh, like imagine like, you, know, you have a guy who's called a nickname uh, by John Travolta and he demands to be called his real name, which is Lawrence. <laughs> so maybe a touch of Tarantino in there too as far as like, Let's have some non sequiturs here, but yeah, in a valley of violence. If you if you like your westerns, then you will like this too. All right, cool. in modern westerns. Um, a couple more things I like to mention. Uh, I watched a documentary about Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. Right. Yeah, uh, that was that was sad, hmm. but it was kind of nice too, just to see them together. Because this was this documentary. It's called Bright Lights, and it's on HBO on demand. If you have that. Uh, this was made before uh, Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds died. It was supposed to premiere on HBO in like a few months from now, but they pushed up the release of it because of the one-two punch of them really leaving us really too, way too soon. And you're you're just kind of hanging out with them for the most part. I mean, there is a very slight story as far as kind of seeing the end of Debbie Reynolds' career. Mm-hmm. As she tries to do her final performances, because she was still performing up until she died, hmm. which is kind of amazing. Like she just—it was kind of in her to go out there and sing all the songs that she did from all those musicals, and uh, and you kind of see Carrie Fisher there trying to deal with it, and you know, uh, uh, it, it just—it it sounds kind of sobering. It's a little sobering. I mean, it's fun to watch them together because you could tell that. Carrie Fisher needed her mother, and Debbie Reynolds needed her daughter. So in that way, it's kind of sweet at the core. Um, even though they aren't necessarily very sweet people, because Carrie Fisher could be very uh, tart-tongued. <laughs> yeah. uh, there's one moment that's almost worth watching the movie all for all by itself, because uh, she's showing some of the, of the things in her house, like certain props from movies and other things. She has a... A full Princess Leia sex doll, <laughs> and as she she talked about it in her act. Uh, she did this special years ago called Wishful Drinking, which is really excellent. 
and she talks about getting the Princess Leia sex doll, and she actually shows it on stage. Is this something she just went out and bought? Yeah. Okay, all right. It wasn't, like, given to her. But it's well, something... that would be a story, too, but <laughs> I, I'm wondering which story I'm being told. So, okay, go on. Yeah, yeah but she... Part of the joke was that now, if anybody ever says to me, go fuck yourself, she, yeah, I can do just that. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, and they also have... That, that's definitely not licensed by Lucasfilm. No, it's not. <laughs> definitely, no. No. Uh, um, although there are many odd Princess Leia products yes. that uh, she's pointed out. Like, there's a Princess Leia shampoo. <laughs> you use it and your hair looks like like it looks like danishes probably the probably the, the weirdest thing which was a very funny moment uh during the, that carrie fisher special i'll get off the topic in a second but she talked about how because carrie fisher was bipolar right and uh in one of the there was some magazine or it was like a scientific type of magazine dealing with bipolar disorders and i guess they talked about carrie fisher the image, the picture that they used was of her from A New Hope. <laughs> because, yeah, why don't we use the picture of Wait. when she has the buns of hair on her head? On one hand. Okay. This is obviously a very silly decision. Yes. On the other hand, she is really cute in that picture. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I can't lie. She she looks awesome. Yeah, yeah. She she was nineteen, but she looked you know like a badass woman. Yeah. Um. So anyway, I... she didn't look old. She looked like no, uh... no, no, not, not old, but mature. Yeah, I think so. I, I I was think I was searching for a better word, but I think that'll do for now. Yeah. Um. What else? Recently, uh, I saw the movie. Hid- oh, Hidden Figures. Right. You heard about this movie? Yeah, the the rocket one. You will be watching this movie with. At least one, if not more, of your classes at some point. Oh, good. I'm yeah. looking forward to it. It's that, that kind of movie. Uh, it's uh, And it's a fun movie to show, like, students in middle school or high school or something like that. Um, I mean, it is safe and conventional as far as that goes. It You could basically pitch it uh, the way that a lot of people will pitch movies. They'll try to say, it's X meets X. Right. This is basically the right stuff crossed with the help. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you get the... You, there are a lot of scenes that... This almost feels like a side quill. I'm going to use that term again. Spin-off. Spin-off of the right stuff. Because John Glenn is in the movie. Uh, you know, the people who are going on those first missions. Right. Uh, Gus Grissom. The Mercury Astronauts. Yeah, the Mercury Astronauts. It's that it's that story, but you're hearing about the women who were you know, really working in the math department. You know what would be awesome, but I know probably didn't happen? What? If Ed Harris made a cameo. Yeah, because according to Craig Johnson, the only time you know you have a good movie about space <laughs> is when Ed Harris is in the movie. I will say Kevin Costner, um, you know, he can sometimes not be that effectual in a movie. No, oh, definitely he, not. He worked well in this though. He felt a little bit like he was playing, not all the way, but a little bit of his character from JFK. Huh? Because uh, he feel because sometimes if you give him glasses and you give him a bit of a southern accent and. He looks like Kevin Costner in JFK. Yeah, but he has that in this movie. But and it's also the same time period. <clears throat> yeah, but well, he, a little before. But that. his act, his, his, I think his presence is kind of fitting for that period. He falls into it very nicely. Yeah, he does. Okay. Um, 
and also the actresses are really wonderful. Uh, and obviously the movie's also about race to, an ex- yes. to a large extent because it's black women who were yeah, in I mean, this program. But again, that is also another time when there weren't a lot of women working in aerospace. Yeah, there, well, there is that too. It, it works on several different levels. There, there are different levels, but ultimately when you watch the movie, you'll see that it's really... It, the split is kind of more 70% being the that that they're black and 30 percent that they're women okay you know it, it having separate bathrooms it, because you're a man or a woman is different than having separate bathrooms because you're white or black yes let me put it that way um but I it's agree. a but it's a but it's a fun movie to show students like i found myself laughing quite a bit nothing at all unpredictable i mean you kind of know where it's going and they try to bring up some suspense near the end involving John Glenn. <laughs> but you kind of know where it's going. Yeah, because the man... Because... I guess it's unless you didn't know anything about him. Well, uh, that's, that actually, that's actually quite possible. No, 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 it is. That's why I said it'd be great to show students, because, you know, probably most of them haven't seen the right stuff or don't really know about the Mercury astronauts. Now, would I say... Listen, I'm not going to spoil the ending, but this movie about Jesus is going to blow your mind. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, again, it it feels a lot like a movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? I know I know if that sounds like a weird way to it put it. It doesn't feel like a message. It feels like a it's a story. Well, I mean, there are messages in it, but it's more well, yeah, about but the I, story. Yeah. yeah, I mean, but an effective story has messages, but they're not like put in neon lights and hung above you know the the marquee. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess to an extent, it also reminded me just because I because I, I first saw Apollo thirteen when I was a kid in school. Okay. So this felt like the same kind of thing like that. I saw Apollo 13 in the theater. Ooh, really? I really when you were wanted to see Apollo 13. Neat. And my parents, I bothered them enough, and they took me. Right on. High five to bothering Whoops. parents. Um, uh, just a couple more things. I had a double feature of Billy Wilder movies. Good. Um, that I hadn't seen before that I really wanted to for a while. Irma La Duce. Duce? Deuce, yes. And The Fortune Cookie. Have you heard of either of these? I've heard of both. They are, because you often think about Billy Wilder's career, and he has so many of these major movies, like Some Like It Hot, and Sunset Boulevard, The Apartment, Stalag 17. Then after The Apartment, sometimes you kind of forget, like, he still made a lot of good movies in his career. Some duds, too. But um, The Fortune Cookie is the one that I'd especially recommend, especially if you like when Billy Wilder is very cynical and blackly comic, because uh, it, it's the first team up of Lemon and Mathow, mm-hmm. and uh, it's like Jack Lemon's this television cameraman. Uh, on He's on the field for this football game, and this football player accidentally runs off and runs into Jack Lemon, <laughs> and Jack Lemon winds up in the hospital, and Walter Mathow finds out that he, when he was a kid, Jack Lemon's character had some type of injury because he fell off of like a roof and it kind of clicks with him huh maybe yeah i'm gonna sue the 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 network for like all they're worth even though jack lemon's fine right and it becomes like this story of like lawyers and this big con going on where jack lemon has to keep on looking like he's still completely injured and in a wheelchair and really helpless (laughs) and yet of course he's not and walter mathow he won an Oscar for this movie, and goddamn doesn't he? Goddamn does he deserve it? 
he plays he's such a shyster but it's so much fun to watch nice um and last thing uh the movie that i watched for uh uh this past inauguration day because <laughs> i tried to keep myself away from it and it ended up not being a good movie to watch to get my mind off of current events was this movie called the founder have you heard this this is the one with michael keaton yeah yeah you might have seen the trailer you kind of can't escape it if you're michael keaton seems to do evil really well yeah, we. I kind of forgot you about didn't that. Like, you didn't like Pacific Heights. I well, there. Were, I could see the potential in that. Yeah. Like, I, you're totally right about your opinion of that movie. It there, is, there are is, a lot of it, flaws. It, it is a lifetime movie, but you can't deny that Michael Keaton is a force in that film. He he's having. He understands what kind of character he's playing. Yeah, and you know he he was in the remake <laughs> of RoboCop. He's the. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. He, he is the evil executive. You know, is, the, has, has there ever been a good executive in films? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. Yeah. That's actually a good question. Uh, he was even the villain in Cars. Yeah. He was like the villain car, which, to whatever that means. <laughs> Do you know anything about the... <laughs> this is the story of Ray Kroc. Yeah, do you know anything about Ray Kroc? Ray Kroc is the man who put McDonald's on the map. He's not the founder of McDonald's, but exactly. he had this thing of he could sell them milkshake makers and yes. stuff. I don't know too much about okay. it, but like in a lot of McDonald's, especially older McDonald's, yeah. you can sometimes see a plaque on the wall with Ray Kroc's face on it. Ah, I didn't know that. If you go to enough McDonald's throughout the world, you'll eventually see one. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it, it's pretty fascinating, but also in some ways kind of standard. But it, it, what's interesting is really to just kind of see the history of how McDonald's really came to be. And again, if the movie's to be believed, that Ray Kroc actually uh, really screwed over the McDonald's brothers. Yeah. Who, like, it should really be called the franchiser. It's an alternate truth. <laughs> alternate fact oh there we the go term. there we go yeah that that's the new uh orwellian terminology this is, we're living this with. is gonna be our, our new meme <laughs> alternate fact uh, hashtag uh no but it yeah no, um because he he's this kind of down on his luck businessman trying to hustle these milkshakes and then you know i have nowhere these mcdonald's brothers like oh we need eight of them and Raycock's like, really? And it's just kind of interesting really? to you see. Really? You want my crappy stuff? Yeah. It's it's just one of those nice things that when you watch a historical movie and you get to get that full sense of, yeah, remember there was a time where there weren't fast food restaurants. Yeah. You had to Although, sit in a car and wait for like the, the, the car hop to come out to bring you Although your food. I do have to kind of fact, fact check you. White Castle existed before McDonald's. Oh, did it? It did. Okay, I didn't know that. It's, I thought it came out probably around the same time. It, it existed before uh, McDonald's came. Uh, a f I don't know how much later. I'm not into the it's, history. It's of fine. Fast we're, food. we're not Wikipedia but, here. You know, there was a time when you didn't have all of these fast food franchises. Yeah, yeah. Well, what's interesting when you say that the originally McDonald's had a formula to their burgers, like. You because these the McDonald's brothers, they're the thing that made McDonald's so appealing to people was that you could actually only get the burgers one way. You get a burger with ketchup, mustard, two pickles, 
and I don't know if you put onions on it, maybe just the two pickles, and that was it. And you could get fries, sodas, and milkshakes. Right. That was it. Like, you you couldn't get, like, a McChicken. You couldn't no. get uh, chicken. They didn't have chicken nuggets. Uh, no McRib. <laughs> well. Those dark ages where you couldn't get a McRib. <laughs> Excuse me, sir. Can I, can I have a burger with three pickles. Get out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, but, but Ray Kroc really did kind of swindle these brothers and became very sleazy when it came to, and see if this sounds familiar, uh, using shady land deals to make it so that he, 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 the way that he robbed the brothers was, well, I'm not really getting much money from franchising these restaurants. I need to own the land. I need to actually have the land owned. And it just, it's kind of sad, but watching it, the problem with the movie, though, is that it'd be one thing if the movie actually had focused on the McDonald's brothers, mm. um, and maybe Ray Kroc was the villain, but Ray Kroc is the main character, yeah. and I guess you're supposed to kind of sympathize, or if not sympathize, but identify with him in some way, or understand him. Well, if he's the anti-hero, then you have to... Then you have to identify with him in some way, yeah, or at but least you, feel you, some sympathy. You for need him. to make him interesting in some way. Well, or... he can still be interesting. I mean, I, I've actually thought about this in relation to some of the stuff I've been reading. Okay, and it's like, well, what's the difference between an antihero and just a villain? Because there are stories where the villain is the protagonist, right? And I think the key is for an antihero, you have to identify with them and feel a little sympathy for them. Yeah. Uh, villains are just no. You they can be interesting, but you really don't yeah. have that same same connection. Yeah, and, that's, and that could be what you're looking at with uh, this movie. In that sense, the founder then it wasn't totally successful as far as uh, humanizing him. Like he, he from the moment he comes on screen, he's kind of just seems like a desperate character. And Laura Dern is his wife, and Laura Dern isn't really given much to do, which is mm-hmm. kind of sad. Um, but ultimately, actually, the one the one bright spot to me is one of the brothers is played by this actor, Nick Offerman. And he's somebody I've grown to really like on this show, Parks and Rec. So seeing him, it was like, oh, good, this guy. Although, occasionally you might see an actor who you've seen have only one type of face. Like this actor, Nick Offerman, I've always known him to have a mustache. And this movie, he has no mustache. <laughs> And I looked at him for a second, like, who are you? <laughs> Do I know you? If so, you want to fool Jack, shave your mustache or grow one. He won't recognize you. So it was an okay movie. Maybe not the best movie to see on, uh, well, I won't go too Friday. much farther. Yeah, Friday. Yeah. All right. Um, so Jack, speak to me. That's, uh, that's stuff I've seen recently. If you've seen any of the movies that uh, we've been talking about or uh, have any thoughts of your own. Uh, if you have any thoughts of your own. If, if you have any thoughts that you haven't stolen from somebody else and try to pass off on your own. If you're not a plagiarist. Yeah, if you're or not. Or if you're capable of independent reasoning. Yes. Then send us a comment. Send us your critical analysis to agesofcinema at gmail.com. or also on Facebook and Twitter at... Uh, the Wages of Cinema podcast. Uh, send us a message there. Tweet us. Uh, we love to read uh, your commentary uh, as you send it. Um, and uh, when we come back, uh, we are going to bring back a 
segment that we've down, now done a few times, and I found thing is very enjoyable. Doctor, it's Jack, great. Yeah, it's it's terrific. It, we should have a poster with us on it, like in Citizen Kane. Yeah, well, Citizen Kane. It's terrific. <laughs> I I don't get what you're. That was the tagline for the movie. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's that was like, it. It's like it's like uh, Frosted Flakes. It's terrific. Thank you.